kia toa, kia ora ai koutou. Be brave that you may live. Ena mana e nā reo e nā kāranga maha o nā haue whā, no mai piki mai, no mai hāre mai ki tēnei hōtaka nei, a te ahikā. Ko Maraia Rakurakua hau. Ko Justin Maria hau, welcome back to Te Ahikā. He was a firm favourite in our household, quiet, understated, real, that is, until he was voted off the reality cooking show, MasterChef New Zealand. To have a couple of months away, you know, it's, it's playing on on your mind too and at the same time you're getting the pressure from the judges and you know the cameras you know it's a stressful time I, I think it was a little bit too much for me um, at the end of the day and you know uh, people say what would I have done different and you know I just I don't know you know I wasn't prepared for that kind of um, thing but uh, you know I, I did I gave my best shot that's all that matters. Cameron Petley joins us soon. Take one retired minister, add practical knowledge of the Māori Anglican Church's treaty-focused system, and you have Timothy Flavel. In the House of Representatives, alongside the Pākehā House. Which was proposed through the Anglicans. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hāhi yeah. has proposed that yeah, the they actually practice it within their own yeah, constitution. They really practice it. Mm. And with the Pākehā, with the Pākehā, uh, entertain the idea of sharing power with the Māori? Of course not. Nā re re tewi, kuerera ngā kaupapa Māori mo te haura e haere ake nei. For the next 50 or so minutes, that's us. Ko te mea tuatahi. Lynette and Michael Bradley have long dreamed of being self-sufficient and running their own business. Two years ago, it became a reality with the creation of Sharknet Gallery. Justin met Lynette earlier this week at their Havelock property. Well, where you are at the moment is you're actually um, on the banks of the Kaituna River. We're on the eastern side of Havelock, and um, and we've got a we've got a very unique wetland here. Um, there's very few wetlands left in the country, and um, fortunately for us, that's we're living here, exposed to all this native and exotic bird life. So some of the bird life here is residential, so it's here all the time. And, um, of course, some of it's um, seasonal, comes in all according to times when it's when the feed's here. OK, so we've lost the tuis at the moment because the flaxes aren't in flower and we haven't planted our kōwhai trees yet. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a maunga in front of us. It's, a, it's uh, covered by uh, some of the, the, the mist cloud here. Yeah, that's right. This is, um, this is our local mountain. This is Tākari Kōa. Um, this is a um, area that um, our, our tribe are guardian and protector and that of. And our local waterways here, the Kai Tuna. Of course, Kai means food, Tuna means eel. So originally this place was named after, I would suspect, the migration ground or something like that of eels. We're actually at um, the Shark Net Gallery here in Havelock, on the, again on the banks of the Kai Tuna River. And um, this is this is a re- resurgence in that of the Rangatani Kaituna people. Um, they actually had no art left. It was all lost, stolen by museums and artefact hunters, burnt and destroyed. So um, this is a way of us actually reconnecting in that with our past. This is actually how we actually pass down our culture, our traditions and our history and that to our future generations and that is actually through our carvings and so that's what we actually display here. 
And so your job here is to take us on a bit of a tour. Well, yes, you're the tour guide. I'm, really. I'm the tour guide <laughs> until we train up others. Um, um, you're fortunate you've got me. So um, that's what I do. I, um, I go around with large groups and sometimes just free independent travellers. The majority of the people come here are actually internationals. And our domestic market basically come when they have international friends and they think, what can we show them here in Marlborough? So um, we've taken that significant stand. And, and so that's what I do. I walk around and I explain the stories in that behind the carvings. And that's the stories and that, that people um, like to know. What are these people that lived here? What were they known as? What sort of people were they that lived here? I've heard quite a bit about the feke or the octopus, and I can see a carving in front of me. What, is the, what significance is, is the feke to, the, to this area? Um, the way I understand it, Tefiki, the giant octopus, that's who Kupe, the discoverer or the rediscoverer, whichever you'd like to know him as, um, chased this giant monster, this octopus, all the way from Hawaii, from the islands, um, all the way here to New Zealand, where he actually, um, where he was successful in slaying this giant octopus. Now, um, this is all Marlborough Sounds here in the top of the south, um, where our gallery is situated is at the. Polaris Kinaparu sounds, um, but Tefiki the giant octopus, of course, was slayed over in the Queen Charlotte sounds, which is where the Picton Ferry comes in, and um, it was there in Tory Channel. And there's actually a bay, bay named after this giant octopus called Tefiki Nui Bay. And a lot of our place names here in the top of the South Island, um, or a representative of Tefiki the giant octopus, or Kupe the discoverer. Now we're standing in, in the, um, is this the entrance way for yeah, visitors? Gosh, this is such a beautiful oh, site. Lovely. Isn't it? It's is lovely. Yeah, so um, originally this was all, this is actually all private property and um, I mean people love having people around and um, so when we thought it was important to actually open this property up to the public and that so they could enjoy the beauty like we have with our, our whānau. And so there's a, there's a couple of buildings here that we're in and then there's, over, there's one over there too. Uh, to my left, is that, is that your... Re- this is our residence. Yeah, over there, that's the residence. We're Gorgeous. Here. <laughs> We're spoiled. So Power Shell exhibits, this is just some of um, my personal work. That's actually a deep-sea dory. And, of course, that's the shark. The shark's our logo or our branding, and we also use it as an insignia in that on some of our furniture. And the abalone or the power here in New Zealand is such a beautiful shell. And um, this was just a, an opportunity to actually use it in another art medium. Did you do this, Lynette? Yes. So you're an artist I'm as well? an artist as well. And where do you source your um, power, just locally? Just locally, just locally, yes. So once you have the cream power, you... Uh... Yeah, I've learned that recipe. <laughs> cream power, mm. <laughs> much of a delicacy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Power patties, they're great too. Yeah, they're lovely. Everything here has got a story. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Everything, of course, that's Kaitiaki, and Kaitiaki's a guardian or protector, and he's seen there in his traditional dress. He's wearing his kōrawai and holding his snapper, and um, he's included the kiwi here, and you've got the kōtakus here on the left and right-hand side at the bottom. So many, many hours have gone into um, producing this collection of carving. Mm. So we're moving towards a collection of korowai, beautiful. So of course this this korowai here on the right, this is what the chief would wear in ceremonial occasions or important occasions. 
and that's been made, that's representative of pheasant feathers. And um, this one here, I myself would wear this in times when I'm carrying out karanga with my youngest daughter Kia, and it's been made out of duck feathers, but it's representative of the New Zealand native tui. And um, the red one there, that takes great significance here to our local people. It is representative of one of our chiefs, Chief Fedor, and of course Fedor's the name given for the colour of red. So that's the significance of being red. And this one here, um, again, this is oh, on behalf of the Ngāti Kuata people as well. And this is, again, won a wearable art award about five years ago. Oh, really? Mm. And it's unlike these other, these other korawais, like the one I'm wearing is flat. Did you make this, um, Lynette? I didn't make the korawai, no. Ngāti Kuata are the um, korawai people. Mm. So they've um, some of the one of their or two of their women have actually produced this magnificent piece. Have a look at the back of it. Oh yes, I will have a look at the back. And it's got like a power shell it bodice. It's got a power shell bodice on the front. It's representative of a bird just after it's finished cleaning itself. It's all puffed up. So of course you've got tuataras here. This is five baby tuataras sitting on some rocks down in uh, Stevens Island. They live to about a hundred years old. And in saying that, um, I believe there was a tuatara named Henry. He's down in Invercargill. He's about 113 wow. years old. And he was still reproducing up until a couple of years ago. So he was a happy tuatara. <laughs> Come on in to the inside. And so right now we're moving into the art gallery space. Up the front here, these are all popo, and they are all um, they're, they're all ancestors of significance, and that throughout the Marlborough sounds right through to Blenheim. So, of course, number three there, Chief Porkiki. Um, he lived here locally at the top end of the Kaituna River, and he actually kept the fire burning there 24/7. You weren't allowed to eat, drink, or smoke around his fire. And it was to keep the souls of his ancestors warm, which is exactly what we're doing here today. We're keeping the souls of our ancestors warm. We're retelling their stories and what sort of people they were that lived here. The Po that you've just mentioned, there are uh, there are a few in front mm. of us on the wall. Mm -hmm. So there are mainly all chiefs or chieftainesses. So um, that's Chief Pōkiki, Chief Fedor, and Chief Pakihuri. Yeah, they're kind of like glory boxes, mm, oh, like, you mm. know, the old school glory boxes. Mm. These are the sorts of things that we would hand out. We'd hand out the patu, and that because people like to interact um, with what the stories that we're talking about here. Mm. So they're our patu. So, Lynette, do you know who are the carvers? Who are the kaifakai? the carvers. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know which, who's carved everything in here. And are they, are they local to this, um, to this area? They, they, live, they have lived here um, from time to time. Um, um, we've got a carver that's over residing in Nelson and that at the moment, and we've got another carver who's actually currently residing up north. And, um, and, and we did have a couple of local carvers here in Marlborough to actually producing works for us, and they were local rangitane carvers. Mm. And behind us, Lynette, we have um, glass cases, or there's several, yes. several glass cases. And yeah, again, these just display. Um, I've started up a, 
a small collection of um, traditional Maori dolls because I love them. Um, and yeah, and, and we're also open here at the gallery. We do um, school trips. We have educate people schools that do educational visits. And so, I mean, the younger children in that, they take particular interest in <laughs> other things that they can relate to, like dolls. And in some of our other cabinets, we have wakahuia. Yeah, let's have a look at the wakahuia. Um, of course, the wakahuia, um, they were what we would use today. We'd call them jewellery boxes or treasure boxes, and we'd keep things that are important to us in, like our necklaces and our jewellery. Um, but in the early years, the Marys actually, um, they actually treasured the huia feather, the native bird, the huia. And so, of course, they stored their huia feathers in their waka huia. You got that right. There's much more to Marlborough than wine. <laughs> so when was this um, facility opened? It was Net? opened in August 2009. Yep. So about two years ago. Coming up two years, that's right. And so this we're heading to, where are we heading to we're now? We're heading just into the upper building there, which is uh, soon to open. It's called the Shark Net Cafe. So, I mean, you're in, um, you know, Queen Charlotte Drive uh, in Havelock. I mean, is, is this art gallery, you know, is it, is it lucrative? Is it lucrative? You know, do you get many visitors to sustain this business? I think we've actually started when everything slowed down, so we don't know what it's like to be in the good times or the high times. <laughs> so to us, it's great that it's actually just building momentum slowly. Okay, as as we're evolving, people are, our visitors are evolving with us. Nice. Mm. Oh wow! So as you can see, this is still under construction, soon to be completed though. And so there's going to be tables in each one of these, in between these wooden columns here, and each table, which will be, of course, our sharky furniture. My <laughs> husband makes the furniture. And each table setting will seat four to six people. This is some of my artwork. It's, um, we tried to separate um, our carving collection and that from other, other stories. And um, so, of course, this is, includes the tiki. Tiki's actually god of man. And our kaituna tanifa, which is a, um, the local eel here. And, of course, it's got shark's teeth and fins, so it's evolved with us. <laughs> yes. And um, so that's how Marys could actually identify in the early years where a people was from was actually through the patterns and designs and that of their carving. Okay, so in future generations to come, they might say, oh... That Kaituna Tanifa there, that's the Rangatane Kaituna people from the top of the South Island. And so whose idea was it to have a cafe? Well, it was actually um, the idea, I think, come upon us, set upon us from the public because they're wanting to spend longer here because um, it's such a, as you can see, looking out at our wonderful view... It's um, got a very lovely panoramic, oh, um, relaxing so atmosphere, lovely. and it's suitable for um, large whānau gatherings. Um, it's suitable, yeah, for families with children. Um, if they hit the high tide here, they can have a picnic down on the beach and go high tide swimming. Um, so, yeah, suitable for all sorts. Mm. 
So we've got a carpenter coming in and he's actually just extending our bench here so the public actually walk up to the breakfast bar rather than straight up to the right. kitchen. Mm. And this is just some more carvings that have been laid out that eventually will go on to the front part of our shop when we actually build a independent standalone shop. Whereas at the moment it's part of our gallery where we sell the small um, bone pendants in Ponamu. Got the view, you got the setting, got the location, and I love the whole. The buildings look as though they've been worked into your surroundings. We've yeah, got the into rock. to blend in with our environment, and um, because we are full of resources here, we have the wood here at our fingertips, um, the stone works all around us, the stone, um, which has all been hand gathered and then laid by hand by my husband, who does <laughs> a lot of all this. His name should have been Jack. <laughs> so this should seat. Um, um, between I think 45 and 55 people and that doesn't include um, our vast outdoor area that yes. eventually we'll be able to um, furnish and, and allow people more sitting space outdoors. So we're heading into the kitchen area of the cafe. So we've got the plumbers in that coming um, within the next week or two and they're just going to actually do the final plumb out and gas fit and that'll just hook up the sinks and get the dishwasher going and the coffee machine and that all geared up. And so have you thought about um, who will be the cook? No, no, no. At the start will be myself. I'm a great cook. I've been used to cooking for a large family. Um, but we just, um, our, our main forte is, of course, with cafe food. Um, but we'd like to introduce, you know, some seafood dishes and that to appease that um, appetite. And uh, eventually, as we become more and more a destination, uh, we see ourselves getting into um, evening, evening dining and that, just on Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, with um, seafood meals. There's definitely room to expand on what you're already doing. That's right. We'll just start off small. Now, this cafe, the important thing to note is it's not just a 24-7 drop-in cafe. You come in off the street, so there's coffee and food there for you. It's a wrap round to our Shark Net Gallery tour bookings. Right, so that's how we will actually be able to um, cater according to those groups coming through that have booked, according to their needs. Okay, so that then we can account for staff and there'll be no food wastage. So there we go, the future Shark Net uh, Cafe. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is us. Gosh, look at that view. Just going to take it. That is it. And that's why we've built this up here, so that we can actually still see over the, the gallery and still take in the, the lovely view on offer here um, at Havelock from our side of the bay <laughs> we look over at the marina my name's Lynette Bradley I was actually born and raised in the large city of Auckland top of the North Island um, and of course I found myself here in the South Island at this lovely um, little paradise here in Havelock I'm um, 44 years of age and I'm actually of Ngāti Pro descent from the east coast of the North Island. Kia ora, Kia ora. And let's just recap over some of the words you heard in that piece. A couple of the local hapu, there's rangitāne, and there's Ngāti Kōata. Lynette spoke about them when she was talking about the kōrawai makers of the area. The name of the river that the gallery is beside is the Kaituna River. Kaituna, in the Kinepuru Sounds. Kinepuru. And a couple of stories that Lynette referred to include the Ruru. Ruru, 
all the L, and the tuatara, or lizard, tuatara. Wood used in some of the carvings that she spoke about, carvings, whakairo, is matai, matai. When Lynette was talking about kupe and the octopus, an octopus is te whike, and kupe is the Polynesian voyager. And there's photos, their choice, at our page, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. In the past on Te Ahika, have talked about how they are often relegated to ceremonial roles, feeling that they are only there to conduct a karakia or lead a waiata at a pōhiri. Kaumatua Ngātikahu Timoti Flavel is more than happy to undertake those roles, but he's not limited by others' expectations of what's acceptable for someone in their 70s. Add to that his 50 or so years as an Anglican minister and his involvement in iwi politics, and you have a highly knowledgeable and experienced Kaumatua, and one advocating for constitutional change as the only realistic way that Māori and Pākehā can comfortably cohabit with an Aotearoa. In this corridor with Mariah, the venerable Timothy Flavel explains his stance. But first, he describes the journey of a taiaha called Tiamorangi from Titaitokiro to Wellington during the most recent hikoi against the then Takutai Moana foreshore and seabed bill. His whalebone was carved on what we call Fawfaungia Tomatu Kai Fakaironi and made a taiaha out of it and presented to us. Uh, for ceremonial occasion, for important occasions in Ngārikau, whenever we should need mana, prestige, to help us in whatever endeavours we uh, decide to take. And so that he presented, carved this whāwhāungiao eia, tēne whewa o te tōra, and created a taiha. And at one of our Taumatakaumaru meetings, we had a corridor, we had a discussion. Yeah, this is the one. Yep, we had a corridor. We had a corridor when it was presented to us like this. It was presented to us and we decided we should give it a name. Nobody knew what the name was going to be. We had no idea what we were going to call it. And so, in a flash, our name came to me. <laughs> Well, everybody was flabbergasted. They wondered why an Amorangi should be called after a taia. So I explained to them, well, an Amorangi is a, um, is a spearhead that goes ahead and prepares the way of the journey of the warriors. O ni. So that, so that was the purpose. And this taiha sits on the table of our Runinga Aiwi o Ngātikahu meetings. It's always placed on the desk of the chairperson at the top table. It's always placed there at all our, our meetings to give us direction and to give mana to all our decision-making that we do for Ngāri Kau and uh, any other, uh, in any other business we do. 
for Ngari Kahu. And so if you notice on the tongue of the spearhead of the Teya, one side is carved and the other side is plain, signifying the Maori and the Pākehā working in unison in partnership uh, to uh, to uh, preserve our Taiao, to preserve our relationships, to preserve our Fenua, to preserve our Tongas. So, so, with that Fakaru in mind, you still see the value in having a relationship with Pākehā? Well, actually, the, we, we are duty-bound to have in a relationship with the Pākehā because the Pākehā and Māori were signatories to the Treaty of Waitangi. And also another mix in this is the Whakaputinga, the signing of the Treaty of Independence in 1935, uh, 1835. And so this was significant, that the Māori never gave up their sovereignty at all. In today's times, do Pākehā have anything to fear from Māori? Do Pākehā have anything to fear from Ngāti Kau? Actually, the Pākehā should not fear for anything from the Māoris of Ngāti Kau because we know the injustices were done. We know where Fenua has been confiscated. We know where we have been um, sidelined. We know where we have been marginalized. We know all those. And um, there is a way of claiming those back through the process of the Treaty of Waitangi claims. The, and, 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 and the process is there for us to claim those back and to seek for justice of the iniquities that has been done uh, to us Maori people. And so because they hold the law of the land, we have to fight them through the courts uh, to get recognition and to get our claims heard. Or maybe get more Maori voting. Yep, well, we're, that's on the table at the moment. Um, uh, um, transformation uh, through the parliamentary system we have at the moment uh, constitutional change we need and I think we get constitutional uh, reform constitutional change we might be able to get more rights as Maori people within the structure of the constitution and so this constitutional um, discussions will need about three or four or five years to go through to find a happy medium and uh, at the moment we're trying to structure this constitutional change according to tikanga maori processes of governance and so at the moment maori tikanga and governance is not recognized by the constitution of this land do you think it can be recognized by the constitution of well, this land. Yeah, well, by the negotiators, this can be achieved by consultation with iwi throughout the country. Uh, this can be done, I believe. And that 
consultation needs to go on if we are going to have constitutional change and the constitution recognizes the treaty of waitangi and to be in uh, and to be uh, formed as part of this constitution that we hope to have maybe we need a maori house in the house of representatives alongside the Pākehā House. Which was proposed through the Anglicans. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hāhi yeah. has proposed that yeah, the they actually practice it within their own yeah, constitution. They really practice it. Mm. And would the Pākehā, would the Pākehā uh, entertain the idea of sharing power with the Māori? Of course not. I can't see Pākehā agreeing to share decision-making with the Māori and to share that power. So we have to work hard on this one because I think this is the cause of all our troubles and niggles and fighting and, and disruptions within our communities, uh, with, you know, living together. We're supposed to be living together in harmony as people of this land because actually when you think of it, the Pākehā are here at our invitation as Manuhiri. They are here as Manuhiri, as Tawiwi. We invited them. They could to, hurt a lot of Pākehā feelings. Yeah. We invited them to be here. That's why they're here. And they should like, and uh, I think they should know, like, they should know that we treat them well. They are our guests. They are our visitors. When they come onto this marae, we give them a wonderful welcome onto every marae in this country. We treat them with respect and uh, we honour them as tangata, e tangata, e tangata. We don't denigrate them. I, I haven't seen a marae that turned the park here down because that's our tikanga to welcome them, whoever, Chinese, Hindu, Japanese, Fijian, we welcome them onto our marae and we give them a royal welcome. And I think this is what we should be aiming for, you know, in this new constitutional change uh, for our country. So uh, uh, all this hikwe that we've been having, it's all about this too. Not only for the horseshoe and seabed, but for living together in harmony as two peoples. Well, they, well they, not two peoples, they call it multicultural now today. Good <laughs> multicultural. But when we're talking about the treaty and our country and our constitution, only two people signed the treaty, Māori and Pākehā. So that's where we are today. So we have to recognise that. Kia ora, Timoti Flavel, no Ngāti Kahu. And there are photos of Timoti and the Taiaha Tiamorangi that he spoke about at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. As there are all our photos that feature in the broadcasts of Te Ahika and archival segments as well. Reality cooking shows seem to dominate our television screens and for the first time last year, New Zealand entered the worldwide Master Chef franchise. We're on Series 2 at the moment and the 12 contestants have been whittled down to four. I stopped watching a few weeks ago when crowd favourite Cameron Pedley was eliminated. And as you're about to hear, while he's disappeared from regular Sunday viewing, it may not be the last we hear from the Ingham's chicken maintenance man from Putaruru. 
Kia ora Cameron. You know, you were recently part of the um, the show MasterChef. Yep, yep. Unfortunately, it came to a somewhat abrupt end for you, but now it seems to be you're, you're quite popular out there in, in Facebook world about getting you back on the show. Yeah, yeah, I've been pretty uh, popular there amongst all New Zealanders. Um, you know, it's kind of taken me by surprise, really. I, I didn't really know I'd uh, make an impact like I, like I have. I mean, you've probably been asked this question a few times since you've left, but how how was being part of the that, that machine, MasterChef, how how was that for you? Yeah, it was a big big wake-up call for me, um, going in there and trying to keep up with the best of them. And, you know, I didn't do a too bad a job. Um, I thought um, with what I knew, I, I'd done a pretty good job. And, uh, yeah, it was... Just sad that I uh, didn't get to go all the way, but you know, a couple of challenges there didn't go my way, and I just had to, um, you know, try, try my best, which uh, wasn't wasn't good enough at the end of the day. What do you think about this whole campaign of Bring Back Cam? Yeah, you know, I know the people that are doing it, and um, you know, it's all about uh, getting my name out there and getting it heard, and hopefully, bigger and better things come my way from from this experience, you know, I don't want this to be the end and you know, hopefully my name gets out there and better things start happening. Mm. So Kim, you're based in Patataru? Yep. Um, whereabouts is Patataru? Uh, it's between Toro and Cambridge, pretty much. Yep. It's in the heart of the South Waikato. And uh, yeah, I've been here for 10 years probably. I used to live in Toro before then. And, um, but I've spent my whole life in the South Waikato. Some people have called you the hunter from the heartland. Yep, yep. Do a bit of pig hunting and uh, try and get out there as often as I can and, you know, go and hunt for the family. It's skills that have been passed down from my uncles and the corals, you know, they taught us from a young age how to gather food. So, you know, that's what I've been doing here and, you know, that's what I try to do with my dishes that, in Master Chef competition, was um, trying try and bring those Maori cuisine dishes out, and uh, just didn't didn't get the chance. With some of the Maori chefs and cooks that I've spoken to, um, Cameron, it starts in the home. You learn cooking from a young age, usually watching uh, your parents or your whanau. Was it the same for you? Yeah, you know, um, just being in those Maori kitchens, eh? You know, there's a lot of work goes on in there. And, you know, you learn from a young age how to how to cook and you know, gather food, how to prepare it for eating, and you know, cooking it for fun. And you know, um, you know the the elders teach all the young ones the stuff, and so when they get too old, you know, there's a new generation there coming through with with um, the skills, you know, and uh, you know, I hand hand those on to my kids and so on, you know. So, I mean, we've seen what you can cook in the Master Chef kitchen, uh, Cameron. What do you usually cook in the marae? Oh, you know, the old, the old favourites, the old boil-ups, you know, those, those are my favourites. Uh, stuff like that with the eels, you know, got some dishes there with eels and, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, the old hangi, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Got to- 
from a young age, and uh, now I try to flash up a couple of dishes to get out there, but uh, I just, just didn't get the chance here. Yeah. So just to make it clear, Cameron, you've had no formal training? No, I've had no formal training. I, I haven't um, been to a restaurant in about eight to ten years, I think, and it's just flavours that I've picked up on my own through, through the family and, you know, and try and work work with those flavours and get them right and, you know, a couple of times there it was paying off. So, Cameron, um, you know, with, with MasterChef and with that whole being part of the, the series, I mean, what we saw on TV was definitely, you know, chefs under pressure to produce their, their, their dishes to the best of their ability. Um, you know, in the end, why do you think um, you you left MasterChef? Was it was it too much to handle? Yeah, you know, I think um, you know, I'm a pretty family orientated person, and uh, you know, not having my family there was was hard. It's the first time I've been away from my kids since they've been born, and um, to, to have a couple of months away, you know, it's it's playing on on your mind too and at the same time you're getting the pressure from the judges and you know the cameras you know it's a stressful time I, I think it was a little bit too much for me um, at the end of the day and you know uh, people say what would I have done different and you know I just I don't know you know I wasn't prepared for that kind of um, thing but uh, you know I, did, I gave my best shot that's all that matters. Yeah. Did you feel as though you were representing Māori? Yeah, you know, I was there representing Māori, representing small towns, you know, and uh, trying, trying to do it for them. And, you know, you know I've been the only Māori follower in there. It was, uh, it was a bit scary. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, just didn't have the goods at the end of the day. Well, Cameron, which probably is a good lead in for my next question. I mean, undoubtedly you know about the the raru raru that was raised in the media. Um, Professor Dr Ranginui Walker brought up the issue of um, certain... Yeah, sit, um, of contestants sitting on tables when they would play, you know, when the chefs would cook something and then the c- contestants would be watching and some would be sitting on tables. I mean, as the only Māori there, how... Uh, you know, what's your take on the on that issue? Yeah, you know, as far as I know, those those tables weren't used for um, food prep, but um, you know, tables are tables, and uh, yeah, it was was pretty hard looking at that. But you know, we we get told where we have to sit, and you know, it's just it wasn't the contestants' fault as far as as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, but higher than that. So basically, what you're saying, Cameron, is that the producers or the people working behind the scenes. They tell you where to to sit and how things are gonna. Sit and you know we we sit there this end of it, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I did feel a bit um, no, because when you're young, you, you get told don't sit on tables, you know, and um, to see it there, well, yeah, it was a bit um, taken back by. But you know, as far as I know, those tables weren't used for food prep. It was just props. So what what now for you, um, Cameron? You know you're you're back in Butaradu. Um I read somewhere that you are you. What what do you do? What's your mahi? Um, maintenance worker at Ingham's Chicken Farm. Yep. And uh, we just 
uh, clean out all the sheds and you know do maintenance on them, put them back together for the new new birds to come in. And yeah, that's what we just do. You go from site to site and repairing and fixing up the sheds. Yeah. Do you think that you may, um, I don't know, you could aspire to have your own cooking thing going? Yeah, you know, I don't want to be um, chicken farming for the rest, rest of my life. Uh, there's better things out there, and, uh, you know, I want to carry on with this cooking thing and um, give, it, give it a really good go from, from this experience. And, you know, hope, hopefully within uh, next year or so, I'll, I'll be cooking in my in the restaurant. How has your whanau uh, reacted to your, um, well, you know, you, you're pretty famous at the moment. You're famous on MasterChef, and now now that you're not on the show, you're pretty much famous for um, trying to, you know, people are trying to get you back onto the show. How, how do you feel about the whole status, your, your change of status, really? Yeah, yeah, like I said before, I'm pretty blown away by it. Um, I wasn't expecting it. Now I'm getting a bit more... Uh, out there than some of the other contestants, which, which is sad in a way for them, but you know, good good for me. And you now I'm going to take take from this whatever I can get. And you know, my, my family seem to be um, been taking a bit of a back seat and getting a bit neglected lately. But uh, you know, hopefully I'll make it back up to them and um, you know, start spending a bit of quality time at home. Cameron Petley, nor Night to Hoy. And there's details of the Facebook campaign and information about Cameron on our webpage at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. And you can send us emails at tiahika at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Justin Murray. I'm Mariah Rakraku, and you're listening to Tiahika on Radio New Zealand National. <laughs> Naya Mira Turfinua with this week's Fagatoki. Kia toa, kia ora ai koto. Be brave that you may live. This was the message with which Honeheke attempted to marshal resistance to the increasing numbers of colonial troops arriving at Kororareka in 1844. According to Biwik, however, it was taken from the earlier Ohaki dying utterance of Hongihika. Kia Mina. Ko no ki te kapinga a te ahika. That's us for another week. Next week we have reviews, the Catch Fire album on the road again, and a look at a book about whare karakia, churches. Na mihi aroha ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. A tui tērā ki nga kai mahi i whakapaipai te hōtaka nei marungo rorohiko ka mau ki te wiki. Mai te whānau a te ahika ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora tātou katoa.